Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is a repeat guest, David Meerman Scott. You all know him as the author of The New Rules of Marketing and PR in uh, at least its fourth edition. He's probably working on another one. It's uh, been translated into dozens of languages. He's also the author of Real-Time Marketing and PR, Newsjacking, Worldwide Rave, Marketing the Moon, Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead, and a book we're going to talk about today that's near and dear to my heart, The New Rules of Selling. So, David, uh, welcome back. Hey, thanks, John. It's it's really great to be here. You and I have um, done so many things in parallel um, over the over the years. It's exciting to be talking about this book. Yeah, actually, I think duct tape marketing and the new rules of marketing and PR came out about the same time, and and I think we were. I'd like to cl- I'd like to claim others have told me that's true that we were some of the early voices in this what we now call you know inbound marketing and uh, you know all all these new terms uh, that that we have. And and I think you're absolutely right. I I as my listeners know, uh, had a book called Duct Tape Selling um, that uh, I I think that uh, is very similar in at least its theme. Obviously, we have different uh, nuances and takes on things, but uh, I think think it it just shows that I believe that the timing was right for this book. Yeah, absolutely. And New new Rules of Marketing and PR was 2007, the original version. I think Duct Tape was right around then, wasn't it? Yeah, it's actually actually it was uh, March of 2007. Yeah, Yeah, and I was um, I I was June of 2007. So those books came out almost exactly the same time, and and Duct Tape tape Selling was um, was very recent. Um, So gosh, we are absolutely um, um, thinking the same. I mean. As you know, and as you've talked about many times, and as I read in your book, I mean, my gosh, the way people buy has changed. And I think the first ramification of that was, well, was was what we captured in our books uh, back in 2007 about how companies can communicate one to many. In other words, the company marketing and public relations and whatnot communicating out with content that can be viewed by many, many people that serves as marketing. And the selling side, as we've talked about, is now you're taking that paradigm and making it one-to-one. In other words, an individual salesperson communicating to an individual potential or existing customer, but again, using the tools of the web and social media and content. And... um, it, it, it is now absolutely time for people who sell and service clients to understand that. Yeah, and I think it's really exciting that people are accepting that uh, too because in a lot of ways, you're, you when you go into large corporations, I know I find this, um, some of what you're still doing is, is breaking down cultural barriers uh, between sales and marketing. It's kind of the, the age-old joke of getting sales and marketing on the same page and that they, they seem to... Uh, be, be fighting in an opposition all the time, and a lot of times it's because they're measured differently. They they have different objectives, and so there's no no uh, wonder that they're not on the same page. But I think now the buyer journey, as you talked about, has changed so much that we just can't afford to do that anymore. Oh, absolutely, that's exactly right. Now, and I think I think what's really changed in the period between when. Um, duct, tape, duct tape marketing, new rules of marketing came out, and today with duct tape selling and new rules of selling is that is that um, buyers are now in charge of that relationship with with companies. You know, they come already armed with 
pretty close to perfect information. They can find out what all of your competitors are saying. They can find out what independent bloggers or review sites are saying. Um, they can find out what your pricing models are. I mean, there's so many different things that they can find out just by doing, by being diligent on the web that the old way of hoarding information and the old way of the salesperson, you know, kind of wrestling the client down to the ground using aggressive sales techniques, they, they don't fly so well anymore. Well, and what's interesting is um, I firmly believe we still need useful salespeople in our lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, and, I, I do, too. Yeah. And, and so that's sort of, the, that's sort of the, the dichotomy today, right? We don't want a salesperson to come and waste our time, but we need a salesperson who can be useful and help us solve our, our challenges. And so while we are, on one hand, creating all this technology to block those people out and to sift through and filter and make sure that we're only going to talk to the two people that, that meet our criteria – uh, we, uh, on the other hand, I think, you know, really still desperately, and, and to me that's the opportunity, we still desperately need that person that is going to uh, actually provide value. Oh, I, I think so. I think so. And then, and then when you finally, when a, when a buyer finally does raise their hand, that, that conversation that, um, you know, in the, from, the, from the salesperson's perspective, that sales job, it, it is very, very different than it used to be. I mean, I open, I open the book new rules of sales and service with this story about how um uh two years ago i wanted to take my wife to antarctica and we had been i had been wanting to go to antarctica since i was a kid and to her it was just this radical radical crazy idea and she told me no she didn't want to go and i said oh come on just go with me because i'm going alone if you're not going <laughs> and and so we went to google and we typed in antarctica expedition and I ended up looking at, you know, like half a dozen expedition outfitters that could take us to Antarctica. And these are expensive trips. I mean, it's sure. like 10, 10 grand a ticket to go. And I, I, we did, my wife and I did, you know, a week's worth of research. And we looked at a whole bunch of websites. Um, and we ended up narrowing it down to a couple. And... We went with the one that had the best content, but then when we were finally ready to engage with the salesperson and the company was Quark Expeditions, Q-U-A-R-K, Quark Expeditions, when we were finally ready to engage with the salesperson, they, the salesperson actually knew it. They, they, they understood that I had already visited the website, they already downloaded some stuff. Um, they knew that I had, had, um, had taken a look at some of their documents. And his job wasn't to you know, act as if it was an initial cold call. His job was to answer some questions, provide additional content, and then book us what we wanted and collect the commission on $20,000 worth of tickets to an Antarctica expedition. And that's exactly what this guy Paul did. And it was a very different way of selling than, than you might have experienced. Um, uh, even just a couple of years ago when when you reached out to an expedition outfitter like that, you had to gather the information from the salesperson. Now I, we gathered the information ahead of time just by going to the search engines. Yeah, and I, I'm actually, and I know you're speaking at, at Inbound um, yeah. in, uh, in a bit. Um, if you're listening to this, that's September of uh, 2014. Um, that uh, David and I are both speaking, and I'm I'm talking about inbound selling, you know, and, and obviously that's become kind of the hot term uh, for trying to capitalize on some of these ideas of content creation, and and uh, one of the uh, 
uh, one of the kind of bullet points uh, that they really wanted me to touch on was what actually is inbound selling. Uh, right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it <laughs> makes sense, right? I yeah. mean, we think we think we know, but yeah, I mean, it's really important. Yeah, and, and I think that the, the really interesting thing, and, and it's truly about that story uh, that you told, is that, um, that there's still this element of uh, all the elements in inbound marketing, being producing content, being found. I mean, all those things are, uh, and I, inbound selling to me is an extension of those in an organization, but then that salesperson has to then take that and make that relevant and personal to you know David Meerman Scott. Yes, um, absolutely, and absolutely. I, and, in, and in the case of that example, there's a very specific problem that we had, and that specific problem was that my wife was scared to go to Antarctica. I mean, it's at the bottom of the world. It's a two-day boat sail, you know, expedition ship uh, sail from the... the after after the, you leave civilization. After, right, <laughs> from, right, from the southernmost city in the world in Argentina, Shiwa, Argentina. you got to go travel two days to reach Antarctica. And, you know, when you're there, there ain't... There ain't nothing you can do about it and she was worried specifically about getting seasick because of the Drake going through the Drake passage and what this guy Paul did was he curated content he pointed us to a blog post that they wrote um, in associated with a doctor about how to deal with seasickness and a a YouTube video that they published about dealing with the Drake passage and what it's like and finally my wife said sure I'll go I'm a little bit scared but I'll go and she you know ended up being the best trip we ever did of course right (laughs) Um, but had the salesperson not curated that content I'm not sure that she would have gone with me I would have gone anyway (laughs) but I'm not sure she would have gone with me well and that's a great point too because you know when we go out and talk to people particularly salespeople, and we start saying content 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 all they can see is a blank page you know needing a thousand words Um, and We can certainly make a case for uh, writing original content, but you can do a tremendous amount of value by just plucking the content that's out there on the web, plucking the content that your marketing department has created, and taking the nuggets out of it that I need as opposed to shoving an e-book down my throat. That's exactly right, and that's that's what this guy Paul did in this example. He had a couple of PDFs he sent us because we wanted to go kayaking in Antarctica and camping in Antarctica, both of which we did. Those were just PDFs that he grabbed out of his library and attached to an email and sent to us. But then when we were dealing with this problem of my wife worrying about throwing up on the ship for two days, that's when he reached out to content that was available on the web that we hadn't bothered to search on or found um, during our search. I can't remember why we didn't find it. He curated that public content. So he curated both both private content and public content. And then, yeah, he, he drafted a couple of paragraphs, but, but most of the work was already done for him. And, you know, he never once tried to push us and, oh, you know, act now, otherwise this yeah. <laughs> deal is going away, you know, nothing like that. So yeah. it was really, it was fascinating. The other thing that was fascinating, John, you'll love this, is the company we went with wasn't the most famous expedition outfitter that would be national geographic sure it wasn't the expedition outfitter that had the best search engine results because there were several that had higher rankings for the terms that we plugged in it by far wasn't the cheapest you know i don't know about you but i'm not going to go to the bottom of the world on the low cost provider (laughs) um it was the one that had best content both from the marketing perspective of the stuff that I saw and then also from the perspective of how it was curated when I was uh, engaging one-to-one with the, the salesperson. I, I just think it's an indicative story. I mean, it's a B2C story, but could very well have been B2B because it was an expensive purchase. And I think 
I think that's where the world is today. Yeah, there's no question. Um, talk to me a little bit about your your thoughts on on prospecting in this kind of new new world. I, I, I do think that you know even if uh, companies have incredible marketing departments that are supposed to be generating all kinds of leads, most salespeople have to go out and generate some of their own leads. What what are your sure. thoughts on on that? How that environment now uh, exists. Well, I think there's a lot of, and you've talked many times about this, John, but I think the idea of, uh, of social networks being a new form of prospecting makes, sure. makes lots of sense. I mean, who's in your network? Who's in your LinkedIn network? Who's on your Facebook network? How can you engage with people on Twitter? Um, those are all really important uh, things, I think, in, in, in the new world. I think that, that a salesperson who has a powerful personal brand and who's known for something and you know maybe they create interesting videos or other types of content can often be in a situation where potential customers actually come to them now that's pretty radical as a salesperson right so that's another that's another aspect of it that that i think can be really really important but i i come back to this idea of of networking and um, and having that social network be a be a part of of prospecting. Now, a lot of salespeople will tell you that they already do that, and they'll kind of dismiss it and say, "Oh, I'm already on LinkedIn." But most salespeople don't have good LinkedIn profiles. Most most salespeople don't really use um, uh, the social networks like LinkedIn and Twitter in ways that can be used to prospect. And I'll just give you one kind of cool example. I was. Um, and you appreciate this, um, being a speaker as well. I was doing a gig in, in Amsterdam, and I was talking about um, marketing and, and, um, and public relations. And, and then um, I was uh, during, used, people were tweeting using the Twitter hashtag for the event. And there was a bookseller in Amsterdam whose people were not actually at the event but who tweeted a link to the new rules of marketing and PR in the Dutch language using the hashtag of the event at the exact moment that I was on stage. <laughs> and I just thought that was, I mean, at first I'm like, wow, you know, that's, I don't know, is that, is that legit? You know, and then I thought to myself, no, no, this is great. Yeah. I mean, talk about great prospecting. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that, I think that, that hijacking a hashtag to sell something that's completely off topic is not a good idea. That's spam. Right. But but adding value to a hashtag of an event or you know any kind of hashtag out there in social networks can be a really good approach. And and this this bookseller actually sold books because people people then said, well shoot, I don't even need to think about this book. To bang, hit the yeah. link, yeah. press yeah. the button, and the book is being delivered to me. So I just thought that was really clever. So it's a very, very different form of prospecting, though. It's it's kind of being a part of the conversation rather than interrupting people with your message. Well, I, I think the real key word that a lot of people need to wrap their heads around in, or embed somehow in their heads is context. Um, that you know that is that to me is the new, you know, prospecting is that you know I can find somebody that that I'm connected with in my network, who 
if I just send them a message saying, hey, buy my stuff, you know, obviously not going to go anywhere. But if they say something or they make, you know, send a signal, that's, you know, I, I actually, a, t- a chapter of my book is listening is the new prospecting. Oh, so, yeah. You know, you know, if they send a signal and I respond just like this bookseller did <laughs> to that signal in a way that makes sense, that's in context, then all of a sudden I can sell anything I want. Absolutely you can. Yeah, I, and I think, that's, I think that's absolutely right. You know, another thing that I think is critically important and has changed dramatically just in the last year or two is this notion of real time. And, yeah. and, you, and I, you and I have discussed real time sure. in the context of marketing. But I think there's also a really important context of real time in, in the selling world as well. And, you know, I, 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 in my, my work, um, you know, where I need to contact a salesperson, so many people just don't get back in time. You know, they mm-hmm. don't get back quickly. They, they, they seem to be working on their time. Now, that's a holdover from the old sales days. The old sales days were, you know, you had a very specific sales funnel. You know, and you would work on your prospecting or, you know, this was typical when I was, I was a bag carrying salesperson for a number of years. I did my prospecting in the morning. I would do my cold calling in the morning and then I would take lunch and then in the afternoon I would do my follow-ups. Um, but if somebody emails you and said, hey, I'm interested, you know, you don't wait until the afternoon until you do your follow-ups. I mean, you get back to them right away. And I'll illustrate that with an example. I, I have this little office in the town that I live in in the Boston suburbs. It's a little office, it's just me. And I was moving from the first floor of my office building to the second floor of my office building. Now this is the most simple move you can imagine. It's, I have some books, I have a desk, I have a credenza, some knickknacks, and you know, it's, it's not a big move. So I emailed, uh, I, I did a Google search, came up with names of three different local moving companies that seemed to make sense, and I emailed each of them at the same time, a little description of what I wanted to do, the dates I wanted to do it, and um, three photo- four photographs of my office so they get a sense of how much junk I have. And one company got back to me with, within two, less than two hours with a, um, uh, a, a pretty detailed price quote. Another company, and, that, and got back to me by email. The second company uh, got back to me about six hours later with a telephone call and said, um, hello, I'm with XYZ Moving Company, please call me back on this number. Mm-hmm. And the third company got back to me the next morning, so approximately 24 hours later, with a price quote that was lower than the first price quote. And, and guess which company I went with? I think I'm going to probably say that you're going to go with the more expensive but more timely quote. That's exactly what I went. That's exactly what I went went with. And the reason I went with them was in my mind I said my time is valuable and these people got back to me quickly. Therefore, my guess is they're going to arrive on time, do the work on time, and I'll be satisfied with it. And that's exactly right. Now it wasn't a lot of money. It's like a hundred bucks difference. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, but I valued my times accordingly. It's not always the lowest quote, and you know there's evidence um, out there that people who get back in really, I mean that was two hours, which is you know that's pretty good. Yep. But people who get back in like five minutes or even two minutes have a huge advantage because you know the person's at their desk. You know if they email you and you get back to them in two minutes, they're still at their desk. Uh, so there's a lot of evidence that being really fast can be helpful, and 
And, um, you know, from the perspective of this idea that I talk about a lot, which I call newsjacking, which is the art and science of, in, of injecting your ideas into a breaking news story, when there's something going on in the marketplace that means buyers are suddenly more interested potentially in a product or service, that's the time the salesperson needs to get active. Yeah. You know, not not next week or next month or this afternoon. Um, so I think that one of the most important things that's changed is this idea of the web making everything real time and those salespeople that understand the, the context around that can be incredibly successful. Talk to me about, um, I want to finish up on one last um, idea, and and that is really the um, an idea of culture inside yeah. of organiz- organizations. The, mm. You know, you, you mentioned in the book, uh, uh, you know, one of the greatest things stopping salespeople from doing this is fear, you know, because it's new territory, or maybe I don't think I have the skills and things of that nature. But um, I, I, I see a lot of salespeople that tell me, hey, I get this. I want to do this. My company does, doesn't buy into it you know they they want yeah. me to they, they're still measuring me on dials and, and things of that nature right well and i think that's actually the greatest problem that we've got and i've i've noticed exactly the same thing i've had conversations with many salespeople, uh, many of whom are on the younger side i mean they many yeah. people many people if they're in their 20s grew up with the web right i mean they understand it they were using facebook in college yep. i th- i think the biggest problem is that most organizations have a sales management culture where the head of sales, the VP of sales, or whatever his or her title is, are almost always people who are successful salespeople. But they were successful salespeople 10 or even 15 or 20 years ago. In the days when these ideas um, wouldn't have worked because we didn't have the the appropriate infrastructure. You know, the, the social networks weren't there, the idea of real-time communications wasn't there, and so on. So I think companies have a, and I don't know whether this, I mean, in many cases it will go up to the CEO, but companies have a really big challenge of how to make sure that that senior sales leader, the VP of sales, the director of sales, understands all of this stuff. I mean, I've literally had salespeople tell me Oh my God, David! You know, I I had my my sales vice president looking over my shoulder, telling me not to update my LinkedIn because that wasn't real work, and instead hit the phone and do a cold call. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa! You know, if that's not illustrative of this this idea of 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 not getting in getting with the time. So I think we need to have sales leaders who can understand the new metrics, who can understand the new nature of how things are sold and manage their salespeople in such a way that they can um, that they can be successful. By the way, another manifestation of this problem is that most CRM system mm. systems that, that salespeople and, and and companies use were built the whole the whole algorithms that sales uh, force automation systems were built around was the old model of dialing for dollars. Yeah. And yeah. they're not they're not optimized for the new world yeah. of engaging people with networks. So I think I think that's the second problem that companies have is that if they're managing to one of these big social uh, sorry these big um, Salesforce automation systems that um, it's giving them false data. 
and it's it's mean it means that the management teams are looking over the wrong types of shoulders. Yeah, I actually um, spoke with a sales manager that said that they're a very large organization, Fortune 500 company, that said that they were actually starting to assign accounts. Uh, not geographically, but based on the penetration that their that particular rep maybe had in a social network of the you know the influential people in that account that they were trying to call on. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, and, wow, that's uh, cool. I, I thought that was a pretty powerful approach. Oh, that's that's real. That's really yeah. cool. I, I spoke um, I spoke with a number as well, and one one and one for example is um, ADP, uh, the person who's in charge of of this part of selling at ADP, five, they have 5,000 salespeople, right. told me that um, the salespeople who are engaged with their customers using social networks and who do the things we've talked about over the last half hour, like curate content and all those good things, are more successful than those who don't. They actually have run the data. Yeah. Um, and so now they're a company that believes it and say, well, shoot, okay, we're going to need to now get, make sure that everybody at ADP is doing this stuff because um, our A-B testing shows it works, and it works better than the old stuff. Yeah. Well, David, always great catching up with you. Uh, the new rules of selling is uh, available as we speak or probably certainly by the time you're listening to this and can be purchased anywhere. Are you doing anything uh, unique uh, for in terms of content or presentation for, for the book other than, than uh, on your site? Yeah, what I've what I've done, which I'm really excited about, is as as we're recording this, it's only been out um, 48 hours. But I did a slide share called "The New Rules of Selling." Um, it's 150 slides. It's um, the ideas of the book, but in a in a in the form of a presentation deck. And I chose to do that because this is my tenth book, and every one of my books I've tried to market the book in in a way that's. Um, uh, sort of echoes the ideas in the book. You know, how good is the book if you can't market it? You can't market it, right? How, how good is a marketing and sales book if you can't market and sell it? <laughs> so, so the idea with the new rules of sales and service was to make a, a PowerPoint style deck. Call and I called it the new rules of selling. It's completely free. It's on SlideShare, and I'm excited because we've I've gotten I don't know 45,000 um, downloads in in 48 hours, which to me a thousand per hour is pretty darn good as a as an initial launch of the book. Well, and we, uh, uh, for those listening, we have embedded the SlideShare deck uh, actually in the in the show notes of, uh, of this show, so you'll be able to get it very easily. Awesome. Thank you so All much, right. John. David, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in person. We'll hoist a beer together. That's at right. That's right. We'll see you in Boston. Great. Uh, all right. Thanks, David. Thank you.